Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to these Go to 11. Once again, I'm Nathan Bell. Not joining me tonight is Zach Bartles. Uh, Zach last week to, took our AMA, Ask Me Anything, and tonight I am going to be doing the AMA, Ask Me Anything. And so got a lot of questions here from uh, people ranging in wide variety of topics from uh, well, you know, if you're on the discussion board post, you've seen them. So I'll uh, just kind of be going through them one at a time and picking them off. Before I do, want to give a shout out to uh, Mission Aware. Uh, Mission Aware has great products for the Reformed community. Uh, just in case you're wondering about uh, what to do for Father's Day, they I was just kind of browsing through some of their stuff. Uh, some really dank cigar holders, cigar cutters, and bottle openers over there. So if you're looking for some ideas, again, they've got some cool cigar holders that you can customize and get custom prints on, cigar cutters and bottle openers. And then you know, graduations are big this time of the year. Uh, recording here on June 5th, uh, my son, who's been with my wife and I for five years, just graduated this past Friday, uh, May 31st. And so we just sent him off and, uh, you know, some great graduation ideas and gift ideas. You could do um, Bible covers, T-shirts, journals, tumblers. Again, you can get prints on those done already pre-ones, or you can get some customized on there. And then also um, want to highlight the uh, the busts, the bookend busts that they do over there. They have a wide variety. You can get uh, six bundled together with Spurgeon, Calvin, Luther, Edwards, Owen, and Knox. And then they also have another four that you could get uh, separately, Bunyan, Augustine, Tyndale, and Ryle. Uh, so check out Mission Aware. Um, and if you're really not sure what to get, just go ahead and uh, and check out a gift card. I mean, gift cards are always a great idea. It allows people to choose what they want at the time they want it. And so if you're thinking about a college graduate and they're going off, maybe they have a roommate who's going to be bringing something, well... This would be a little different, but you know what I mean. Um, you know, you can always get a gift card and then they can pick it out later. So check out Mission Aware. Um, on to the Ask Me Anything. Uh, like I said, I'm just going to start off and move right down the list here. And so I'm going to start with uh, Zach Bartles. Zach uh, has basically a three-in-one for me. Uh, so it's kind of like consequences in the school environment. So uh, what would be a standard punishment for fighting in school, cursing at a teacher, and plagiarism? Um, so I'm going to take the assumption, uh, what would I do, not necessarily what does my school do or what schools I've been at do, what would I do? Um, for me, uh, fighting in school is probably um, the the least offensive out of all those and that's going to sound kind of weird but usually fights in school are the result of uh, somebody just blowing you know losing their cool or somebody did something to someone else and so they're reacting or retaliating back and it's not the fights that I've been in or been involved with not been in uh, been involved with uh, with students have not been anything too typically serious it's usually they're coming up to see me I give their parents a call uh, and we move on. You know, they're shaking hands. Um, a lot of times, actually, more fights that I've dealt with has been between friends who just kind of got sick and tired of one another. And um, so fighting to me is kind of the least. Uh, and, and really, it's it's kind of that type of thing. You know, they, they get caught doing it once. They're, they're sitting there talking with me. I'm calling their parents, just letting them know 
this is what went on. This is what was said. This is what was done. And, um, you know, student A punched student B and we're moving on. So nothing really too serious. If it continues, though, and it's habitual um, from a student, then um, there is a suspension that uh, comes along the way. So uh, cursing at a teacher, to me, that has uh, carries a little bit more weight to it because there's a lot of uh, disrespect that's going on and, and it's typically a deeper problem of something that's going on at, in the home life. Um, what I've found over the years is students are actually much more willing to behave themselves publicly than they are privately. And so if this is how they're treating their teacher uh, in school, then there's something even deeper going on in home to cause them to do that. But I, I think, you know, kind of the same type of thing, you know, we, we deal with it, detention, you know, talk with the student, uh, if the student is unable to get themselves um, under control and this is continuously happening, then it would lead into that suspensionable offense. And again, if they're not able to control themselves, then uh, then expelling the student. And, um, you know, one of the things that I've learned over time is that um, if parents and students aren't willing to see that situations are being dealt with and handled um, and and I'm going to qualify that because I don't always handle it the way parents want me to. And I oftentimes have to remind parents that you are very thankful when I show your student grace, but when I show another student grace, you want to jump all over me. And I have to remind parents that they need to mind their own business when it comes to how I handle and deal with um, anyone other than their child. Um, and so for me, it's a great opportunity to this would be a great opportunity to, uh, you know, insert that. But also, you know, if it does continue and, and students see that this is going on and this isn't being dealt with, then it's going to encourage that type of behavior. Um, plagiarism, you know, being able to explain the importance of, of doing your own work and not ripping off someone else's. Um, I think it's a lesson that many students initially when they're, when they're copying, they don't quite understand the severity of it. They know that what they're doing isn't wrong, but they don't quite understand the problem with it. And so that one, you know, I think there would be uh, a little bit more grace in, in terms of, you know, sitting them down, explaining to them, you know, th this is wrong. You shouldn't be doing this. I don't necessarily think there needs to be an initial first consequence other than explaining to them why it's wrong. And then at that point, if it continues, then you ratchet it up uh, eventually to suspension or expulsion. Um, so yeah, those are kind of my thoughts on those things. Uh, looking at uh, the next one, Zach has, uh, tell us of a time when Dutcher's pastoral care brought you through some kind of struggle, whether a little uh, doubt, grief, or whatever it might be. And then um, we'll get to the sub-question after that. Um, actually, uh, it wasn't terribly long ago when I was working, uh, this was at my second uh, school, and I was going through a difficult decision whether or not I needed to uh, leave or stay and there were no major scandal or anything went on. Uh, my wife and I, we were just struggling financially and I was wrestling with, you know, is it God's will that I stay or is it God's will that I go? And, you know, we try to sort through uh, some of the school debt that we had and get some things paid off. And um, I'll never forget his advice. Um, 
he said, you know, I'm not going to tell you what to do. And, uh, I appreciated that on some level, um, right there in the moment, I kind of wish he would have just told me what to do, but I appreciate that on some level. He said, look, God has gifted you with a number of abilities and the, the essential makeup of the conversation was I could be glorifying God in if I'm using my gifts and abilities, no matter what I'm doing. And so, um, as a teacher, if, if I'm teaching in a school, if I'm teaching in a church setting, um, if I'm teaching martial arts, wherever I am, this is where God has gifted me. And so there are any number of things that I can be doing with my gifts and with the abilities that God has given me that are going to glorify him. And so basically he said, just, just make a decision. And, and live with that decision, whatever decision you make. Um, and so I, I did end up making a decision to uh, leave the school, but that was just such a tremendous um, pastoral guidance in my life because I, I viewed that like I view doctors. When I go to a doctor, I don't want the doctor to tell me what I need to do. I want the doctor to tell me what's wrong, and I want the doctor to give me options and let me make the best decision with the information that's given to me. And so Greg acted like that sounding board for me. I, I laid everything out for him and he took all of that information and kind of processed it and, you know, said, you know, you kind of know your options, but here are some others just in case, you know, you, you weren't thinking of those. And, you know, now you need to go and you make a decision and you live with that decision that you make. And, um, and I have, and I, I don't think it was a, a right or wrong decision. I don't think it would have been right if I stayed at the school. I don't think I was wrong for leaving. It was a decision that was made, and, and God has used that decision to move me into other areas where I could serve him, and even areas that I may not have necessarily thought of before. One of those areas was into the liquor store, um, and that has been that was uh, three years of just a really great experience for me, uh, being in an environment where I wasn't surrounded by believers and being able to be a witness in that environment. And so I really, um, really appreciated that from him in that capacity. And then the sub question, what's the best thing about him being your pastor? Uh, one of the things that is great is the relatability that I have to Greg. I have been in churches and in situations before where the pastor has put on a false pretense of the sin in their life, or they've directed all the sin back to us as the congregation. And so being with Greg, he's, he's willing to admit and say, look, we're all in this together. Um, you know, I am, I am not immune from the Sunday morning fight with my family before I have to get up in front of the congregation and preach. Um, I'm, you know, and, and he said this on the podcast before, you know, struggling with, um, anxiety and depression and different things like that. And, and just the very real and honest nature in which he comes in and says, I am, I'm guiding you, but I'm not guiding you. Uh, like Christ guided people. I'm guiding you in this level with you, working toward that same level of righteousness and that same level of sanctification that everyone else is, um, not having achieved any of that yet. And so 
that that has been one of the greatest things is just that relatability, knowing that he is in this with us and he is going through this and that I can go to him and I can be real and honest with him because he's real and honest with me. So great, uh, great questions here. And they've all been from Zach so far. So uh, last one from Zach that I can, uh, I can tell is um, also if zombies were attacking and you had to choose one weapon, would it be a machete, a pipe wrench, butter knife, crowbar, or a cricket bat? And I would say a machete. And the reason is because from a machete, I could fashion all other sorts of weapons. Uh, I could make housing and lodging and different things like that. And so I would, I would definitely go with a machete on those grounds. So Zach, great set of questions. We are going to move on because there are lots of others. Uh, Jordan Geringer or Geringer. Um, sorry, Jordan, not sure how to pronounce the last name. Where do babies come from? Um, I'll save that for your mommies and daddies to explain to you. Uh, so we're going to move on. Uh, Mike Clymer or Klimer, C-L-Y-M-E-R. Sorry, again, don't know how to say your last name. At least I'm getting the first names right here. Uh, what do you think your life would be like if you were not saved? That is a fantastic question. Uh, I would like to say that I would at least be a good uh, moral person, but I, I honestly don't think I would. I think I would be an absolute uh, wretch. I think I would be uh, a con artist, uh, quite frankly. I'm I'm very good at um, – and uh, don't ask me how I know this. I'm very good at manipulating people. I'm very good at manipulating situations. Um, in circumstances. And I, I think I would probably be a con artist. I think I would be a very um, just uh, nasty uh, person. I, you know, uh, almost like the, the love them and leave them, but without the uh, love them, you know, the find them and take what I wanted and needed and leave them. Um, and so I, I really think that's probably uh, who I would be. I, and, and so that um, gives me the chills and shivers and, uh, you know, just throwing up my mouth a little bit thinking about that. But, but quite honestly, I do, I do believe that's, that's the type of person that I would be, um, you know, and, and again, you know, each of us know the darkness, uh, the sin in our hearts and in our lives, you know, and so, um, you know, these are, uh, you know, I, I just see the darkness in my own life and it's like, oh, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you have saved me and that you, your spirit is greater in me than my flesh is because, um, you know, I, I just, again, know that that would be the type of person I would be. Um, what do you love? So this is by Montgomery uh, Loheline. Sorry, again, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, what do you love about the podcast medium? One of the things that I really love about podcast is the ability to reach so many different people, connect with so many different people uh, that I never would have before. Um, Zach and I did the podcast earlier and we talked about coming on and looking at the medium of uh, the chat room and how that gave you that ability. Well, to me, this adds another layer where you're able to have a conversation with someone, you're able to talk about very real issues, give thoughts 
and opinions on things in a in a gentle and caring manner. Uh, hopefully, we're gentle and caring on here. And it allows people from all across the world, not even all across the country, but all across the world, to be able to listen in on this conversation. Greg and I, when we were doing the podcast, had what we would consider these fireside chats. Um, And to me, all of these things had kind of become fireside chats where we we were just talking with one another. It's like, you know, we're sitting in our living room. Um, drinking a beer, you know, having dinner and just talking about the things that you would naturally talk about as friends, whether it was news, movies, politics, uh, religion, whatever the topic was, these were just very real conversations that um, we have with one another. You know, first it was uh, Greg and me, and then it was, um, me and Steve and now me and Zach. And I really, I enjoy that feel. I enjoy the perspective of just talking with someone. We don't have to agree on everything. We can agree to disagree. Um, We can just disagree, but we do it in a loving way that I, I believe honors Christ. And to me, it's great to be able to do that in this medium where people from all over the world um, can hear it and, and listen in. And so making those connections with people um, is just fantastic. I, I, I love it. So great question. Uh, another one from uh, Mike here. So Mike says, if time slash money were not a factor, which martial arts, which martial art would you master? For me, it would be dim mock style, poison touch, pressure point fighting. Um, did a little bit of that when I trained in combat Hapkido. Um, it's pretty cool and interesting. One of the things that I found out and learned though, is that that is, um, a style where, um, if someone's, um, uh, joints, if someone's pressure points are configured slightly differently, it can be, it can be more difficult to work through some of those techniques, but i um, still a fascinating science and style in that I actually, I have, I have many, I'm going to narrow it down to, Three. So, uh, the first would be uh, Wing Chun. Wing Chun is a style I've always been fascinated about. It is a softer style. It is a very, very much a defensive style um, in its own right. And so, I've always loved that fluidity. I loved the water principles of fighting, and so being able to use that uh, proficiently and effectively uh, would be my number one. Um, my number two would be a style that I studied for two years actually called Kali, which is stick fighting and um, deals with combative knife fighting. Uh, loved that style. And so you had the softer end and you had the harder end. Uh, sorry, I forgot to mute my phone. Um, the softer end and the harder end of the styles. And so to me, uh, you know that the knife fighting just it brings out a great level of discipline um if anybody's ever trained with weapons you know that there's a huge amount of discipline and commitment that is needed in order to effectively train with weapons and so that would be uh that would be one of mine and then the third one is actually one that I studied for a number of years um american kempo the style that i did was actually a blend i would love to go back and um, 
study not the true style of Kempo, but the slightly modded style of Kempo that became known as Ed Parker. Um, and then later, uh, Jeff Speakman, one of his Ed students, um, kind of changed and reformed it a little bit. And so I would love to do that. So uh, Wing Chun, Kali, and American Kempo would be my three styles. Philip Hurd. Did you see that? Chi- did you see the size of that chicken, Philip? I did see the size of that chicken, and it was delicious. Uh, Kevin Thompson, uh, another fellow teacher. So, uh, what do you wish each of your parents knew about Christian education? Uh, phenomenal question. To me, one of the biggest things that I wish my teachers um, not just knew head knowledge, but understood is that. Um, Christian education is probably not what they're thinking. When I when I define Christian education, I look at two things. One is the people and the other is the curriculum. People are flawed. We are sinful wretches saved by the grace of God. Parents have, I believe, not only an honest, uh, un realistic expectation for how the teachers should act and behave. Uh, but I think they also have an unrealistic expectations to how, and, and even this more so than how the students should act and behave to one another. Um, I am forever telling parents who come into my office when they say, I thought this was a Christian school and I have to look at them and say, it is, what do you think that means? And oftentimes it has a lot to do with the student's treatment of one another. And I have to look at said parent and tell them that as a Christian school, our goal is to hire teachers and staff that will instill a biblical worldview into your child's life. That doesn't mean that as the teachers, we are perfect. We're we're going to um, screw up. In some way, whether it is um, accusing your child of doing something they didn't do, whether it is unfairly judging your child on something, whatever the case might be, those things are going to happen. Um, When and or if we recognize that we've done those things, we will apologize humbly, ask for their forgiveness uh, and move on. We're not going to wallow in self-guilt over the mistreatment of your child in that way. Again, we will apologize, but we we are going to move on. Um, And we're going to expect you to move on too. That's what it means to be a Christian. Um, And and so I've dealt with that on a very small scale. The largest thing, like I said, though, is is dealing with um, parents on the level of other students. We are, like many Christian schools, an open enrollment school. And so what that means is neither the student nor the parent needs to profess to be a Christian. Well, if, if you're inviting the world into your institution, into your school, then you better be prepared for worldly problems. And, you know, so I tell parents when bullying goes on and it will go on, we are going to do our best to catch it and to deal with it. Um, it might not be in the way that you think is appropriate, but it is in within the bounds of what we've established in our handbook is appropriate. Um, so, you know, one child's bullying another child. And I, and I mean, seriously bullying. I don't mean 
Oh, my st- – and I get this all the time. Oh, well, so-and-so called my student a name. He's bullying him. No, you, you know, student A calls student B a jerk. That's not bullying. I mean, quite frankly, student B might be being a jerk. Um, and so, you know, that that's not bullying. A, a constant pressuring and devaluing of the student day in and day out. Uh, a constant physical abuse of the student day in and day out. That's bullying. Um, but somebody calling someone a name or somebody uh, teasing someone, th- those aren't bullying things. And so trying to define and, and, and get parents to understand the definition of words, what these things actually mean, and then get them to understand, you know what, that, that these students, um, uh, they, they need Jesus. Just like, uh, you know, their little angel Johnny or Susie needs Jesus, you know, these other students need Jesus. And, and so our goal is to, you know, show them love and kindness and Jesus. And so when, when these matters come up, we, we investigate, we look into it and we deal with it, um, as best as we can. Uh, it's very difficult to deal with, you know, uh, he said, she said, Oftentimes, a parent will come in and say, well, you know, this student's very good and clever about getting around, you know, the the parents and uh, the teachers, and it's just my student. And I'm like, you know, we'll, we'll do our best to watch out for it and to make sure. But one of the best things you can do as parents is to teach your child um, how to have some thick skin because we're not going to be able to catch everything. And the fact of the matter is if somebody came to me with an issue with your child – and said they did something, you wouldn't want me just to take their word on it. You would want me to make sure that I'm doing my due diligence, looking for witnesses before I act on something, that I bring those witnesses and that I find out what happened. And so, um, you know, getting getting parents um, to understand what it actually means to be a Christian school and that we are going to go through these struggles and that we are going to show the same amount of love and grace to the students who treat their child like dirt um, that we show to their child who treats other children like dirt because it is going on. Um, you know, we, we want parents to understand that. So great, great que- question, uh, Kevin. Uh, John Dunbar, Apple or Android? Ooh, um, uh, both. And here's why. Uh, I have many Apple products at home. I have an Apple phone. I have uh, MacBook Air that I use, um, but at school I have a lot of Android products that I use with tablets and such. So um, I can see the benefits of both. I don't necessarily have a problem with either one. I will say this um, for my Mac products, though. Um, I have heard many horror stories of people who type papers on PCs or uh, on Android devices, and those things crash, and they do not recover their work. I've had my Mac crash before, um, but my work has always, I've always, always recovered it on my Mac. So, um, you know, take it for what it is, but honestly, I don't have a problem with either one. Right now, I just hope, I I happen to own a lot of uh, Apple products. Um, I could tell you this though, for the purposes of teaching and being in a school setting, uh, Mac all the way. And here's why, because the compatibility that the teacher has to interface 
in one system and what Mac has done with their educational program for compatibility and integrating um, actually goes well beyond what Android's currently doing. Um, so that would just be my two cents for that one. Joshua Radenbaugh. Joshua Radenbaugh. As an educator, what is the craziest slash silliest thing you have seen at school? Uh, craziest thing I've seen at school and experienced um, was probably about a year and a half to two and a half years ago. And I was in a teacher meeting with a fellow teacher. This was with a parent. And when we have parent-teacher meetings, uh, we typically encourage parents to have the students there because we want the parents to hear directly from the teacher with the student there, and we want the parents to hear directly from the student with the teacher there what's going on in the classroom. And I was with uh, the English teacher at my school, and I was the science teacher at the time, and we were talking about the students' uh, grades. Um, and this student was uh, very smart. Uh, I'm not going to say the student was brilliant, but the student was smart. The student could pull off the work. I would say um, very capable of pulling off a high C, low B within English and very capable of pulling off uh, mid to high B in science. So, you know, student put in the effort. And so many of our concerns were just, um, you know, showing the parent the, the work that had not been turned in on time or had not been turned in at all. And really that was where this student was suffering. Uh, test grades were fine. The homework that uh, the student did was fine. Um, and the English teacher and I were talking with the mother and, and very quickly the conversation de-evolved into the mother telling us how frustrated she was with her student, which isn't uncommon. That happens. Um, but then telling us how uh, she really didn't want to have kids with the student there, mind you, uh, really didn't want to have kids and was thinking about shipping the particular student off to boarding school so she wouldn't have to deal with them. And I, I was just – I was blown away. I had never been in a situation – and. Let me rephrase. I knew situations like this existed where parents would um, talk down about, you know, how children have ruined their lives and things like that. Um, but the the frankness and the bluntness of which this mother just unashamedly said, um, yeah, I never wanted kids. I, I really don't wish I had kids. And I, I just want to ship this child off to um, boarding school. So, uh, you know, the child's no longer my problem blew me away. I had never experienced that in um, in a Christian school before, the the boldness and audacity to say something like that. Uh, I, I could probably um, count um, and bet on the number of parents who thought that and who even said that to their child in private, uh, but I had never had one had the audacity to say that public to, publicly uh, to me in that regard before. Um, and so that to me was just, um, the most, uh, again, as you put it, the craziest thing that I had ever seen or experienced, um, in terms of the silliest thing I've ever experienced, um, I, man, they, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of off the walls with some of the stuff that's happened. Um, thankfully, uh, many of the experiences have been positive and good. So, um, haven't had to worry too much about that.
Um, good buddy John Crotz. Good buddy John Crotz. What was a key time of your of spiritual progress in your life? Um, it was uh, kind of a threefold combination of things that were happening to me. Um, my father was. Uh, he grew up in the church. He grew up um, Southern Baptist or he grew up in a Southern Baptist church. Let me rephrase that. Um, Not the denomination, but in a Southern Baptist church or a Baptist church in the South. Clarify that a little bit more. Uh, Very, um, very legalistic in many ways. Um, And he would probably tell you that he came, even though he grew up in the church, it was much later when he really believed he came to Christ um, and says he came to Christ. Um, and he, um, you know, he really believed in training um, young men and young women into becoming men and women and skipping over what we consider those teenage years. Like, he he really he hated that term in our culture and society. He believed it bred um, irresponsibility in people, and so he he said that um, right now I'm a child, um, and when I turn uh, twelve. It actually wasn't when I turned 12, uh, and I'll kind of explain that. But but essentially, when I went through this process, I would be an adult. And so I was expected to act and behave like an adult. I was respect, expected to take responsibility for my actions. I was expected to um, be a responsible, um, caring member of the family and of society. And so the event that was supposed to culminate in this kind of training that he had been doing with me, teaching me about God's word and, um, you know, just kind of building, um, building me up and as a young man, um, was to culminate in a mission trip that he and I were going to take in, uh, in March of 1996. And, uh, two months before we were to take that trip, he passed away. And I was faced with the challenge of whether or not I was going to go. Um, I remember there was some back and forth um, between me and my mom. Um, and I I didn't say this to her, but I, I knew in my head and in my heart I had to go because this is after this trip, dad said I was going to be a man. And so I need to go on this trip. And so it was 10 days going to Estonia, which is a small country in uh, a former part of Russia in Europe. If you put your finger on Helsinki, Finland, grow, go across the body of water there, you will land right in Estonia. And while I was there, I did uh, prison ministry, uh, men and women's prison, uh, youth detention prisons, uh, as well as speaking in, in a couple different churches. The, the great experience about that trip was my father had gone um, by himself a year earlier and I was able to go and speak to these people who knew my father and tell them what it was like to be Troy Bell's son. And um, it gave me a love and passion and appreciation for 
people who had loved my father um, that I had never met. And so uh, to me, that culmination of my father just really emphasizing and intentionally focusing on the fact that um, whatever whatever I thought it was going to mean to be a teenager in American culture and society, he wanted to make sure that that wasn't going to happen. Um, and so coming back from that trip, um, I, I remember just thinking, you know, this is, this is who I am now. I'm not, I'm not a child anymore. I am a man. And, and in my family, after my father died, I did take more of a fatherly role. And, um, so that was, um, huge. And then, um, a year later after that, I ended up spending three months in Europe on a mission trip. And that really kind of helped form and solidify, um, my spiritual walk in life with God. And so that kind of year and a half process, a year and two month process, whatever it was that I went through was really, um, huge in my spiritual formation and development. And I think very critical, um, in developing, uh, who, who I am, uh, who I am today. So, uh, great, great question, uh, John. So really appreciate it. Next question. This is uh, this is a hot one from Zach Burnham. Uh, Zach says, "Hey Nathan, you've mentioned before in discussions with Greg that you're more egalitarian on the question of women in church leadership. Could you talk a bit about what your view is, and could you explain how you'd say it fits with First Timothy uh, two eleven through fifteen? Would love to hear a faithful interpretation from a perspective I haven't heard as much. No doubt this passage is something to wrestle with, no matter the view taken. Thanks. Um, yeah, Zach, I, uh, let me, uh, go ahead and just pull up, um, my Bible real quick here, uh, to try to get to that for you. So, um, as I'm pulling it up, this is going to show my prowess as a multitasker or lack thereof. And of course, my Bible is not wanting to pull up for me. Um, so. Ah, here we go. Okay. So, uh, let me start off with, uh, by saying I grew up in an egalitarian household that, um, by the time I was born and came along, uh, my family, uh, was attending a Nazarene church, um, and then moved from a Nazarene church, uh, to a Salvation Army church, which is, uh, where my mother had actually grown up predominantly and was, uh, Salvation Army church. And if you know anything about the Salvation Army, um, they're very egalitarian. Um, you know, women pastors and leadership, um, up the yin yang. Um, and so for me, I just kind of grew up in that environment. Um, I, never fully accepted what the Salvation Army had to say on that subject. Um, when I went to school, uh, I was homeschooled uh, up until second grade. And then from second grade until I graduated, I was in a small private Christian school that was affiliated with a Baptist church. All that to say gives you a little bit of understanding of where I might have been coming from. So uh, again, the issue never really came up for me one way or the other. I never really thought it was weird or awkward. I was never really challenged on it when I was at school. Um, I do remember when I was a senior, though, um, in high school, being pushed a little bit on this issue. 
and I was the student body chaplain at the time, and they were asking uh, the the administration of the school was asking for a recommendation for um, for a new student body chaplain. And I had been thinking, um, naturally, I'd actually been thinking of some of the guys, but honestly, the best qualified person that came to my mind was a girl, um, in a, she was a grade under me called, uh, her name was Rachel. And I said, well, what about Rachel? I think she would be a great chaplain. And uh, my guidance counselor, who is a very good friend of mine to this day, um, looked at me and was like, yeah, that, that'll never happen here. And that's where I kind of started the process and journey of questioning, well, why wouldn't it? And he explained to me, you know, the theology and background and all that stuff. Um, and I was like, okay, um, fair enough. Uh, moving on. And and then I started really exploring and digging in. Um, I went to a Wesleyan school, Houghton, Wesleyan, uh, Houghton College, which is a Wesleyan school. Again, they're very egalitarian as well. Um, and so this actually – this issue actually came up a lot um, – Typically, it came in the form of uh, the professors uh, at Houghton, uh, many of them uh, women, many of them ordained pastors, uh, obviously talking about the pros of it, and then um, students kind of debating the pros and cons. So I felt like in that sense, um, there was something lacking in the education at Houghton because uh, while all the professors were for it, uh, they had a lot more prowess and background in order to emphatically argue, yes, this is what should happen, where on the students' end, we're uh, more or less arguing in our own ignorance. Uh, we didn't really have a professor who could challenge us on the other end, and so we're, we're left to kind of you know, doing a lot more of the research against it on our own. Um, but I never was – again, I was never really – I. I by the time I graduated college, I was mostly of the opinion I have no problem uh, if, a, if a woman is a pastor. Um, when I was at Houghton, uh, there were many times where I heard a woman preaching God's word. Even uh, my church growing up, which was uh, more conservative in that issue, occasionally women would preach from the pulpit. And so um, really didn't have an issue. And so my my thought and conclusion was – you know, there there are some churches that uh, they do, and it's not a problem, and there are some churches that they don't, and and it works for them, and they don't have a problem or an issue with it. Um, and so all that to say, background and setup, let me read um, these verses, and uh, I'll start with First uh, Timothy 2, uh, verse 11. Uh, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Uh, there's a whole lot to unpack in that section there which um, I think is fascinating in and of itself. But um, I want to make sure that I get to the question. And I think the answer to the question is found below. And this is where I think I've actually changed a little bit of my thoughts on this because it was at one point that I was like, yeah, teaching God's word and being an elder in the church and all of that, uh, all of it was clear. And then doing a little bit more study, 
a little bit uh, more discussion actually with Greg um, that brought me to this, where down in 1 Timothy chapter 3, the saying is trustworthy, if anyone aspires to be an officer, uh, sorry, if anyone aspires to be, um, darn it, okay. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task, therefore an overseer. And this goes through the qualifications of an overseer, which is um, all in the masculine pronoun. What I believe is going on here is verses 11 through 15 of 1 Timothy chapter 2 is describing the setup for the qualifications of overseers. Um, and so I have no problem with churches that, that have uh, overseers, um, elders in the church who are, um, you know, uh, they, they're in charge and, and they have, you know, authority and power. I'm, I'm not going to go – and when I say I have no problem, I'm not going to go into a church and I'm not going to make a big deal out of it. I'm not going to sit here on the podcast and make a big deal out of it because honestly at the end of the day, I, I don't care that much about it. Um, my placement on this is in the teaching of God's word. Um if there is a woman who is teaching God's word and she is faithful to the teaching of God's word um, and she is behind the pulpit Sunday doing that, um, man, that's that's awesome. Um, and I know there are many people who are going to argue with me on this. Um, there are many people who um, uh, fall into the category of um, what we've you know talked about. Um, on here, prescriptive um, worship. Many people um, who listen to this podcast are cessationists when it comes to tongues and and gifts. Um, I don't fall, and, and you know, I, I don't necessarily fall into those categories. And and people fall into different spectrums on things that they um, they believe when they read the Word of God. They believe the Word of God is saying to them, uh, God's Word is true and absolute. You know, Zach and I were on here talking two weeks ago, I think it was, when we were saying, you know, I think there are going to be, um, a, there's there's a lot of uh, humbling that's going to go on when we get to heaven. Um, are there women who should not be preaching God's word? Absolutely. I also believe that there are a lot of men out there who should not be preaching God's word. Um but you know what? At the end of the day, I am who who's at fault for teaching God's word? Because we love to say, "Well, women could teach a woman." That's not an issue. Well, I mean, I I I, I like some of Beth Moore's teaching. I love Elise Fitzpatrick's teaching. Can I not listen to their teaching um, because they're women? Um, no, it's 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 God's word spoken in truth, and so I'm going to listen to whoever is speaking God's word spoken in truth. Um, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to let God stand judge over that person. I don't need to do that. Um, I I don't need to be their judge. I'll let God do that. But if they're preaching God's word, man, I'm, I'm on board with them. Uh, they are someone who I'm going to point people to as a resource. Like I would point John Piper to, like I would, uh, you know, like I would point them to John Piper, like I would point them to Tim Keller. Um, and I'm going to. Uh, you know, give them a vote of confidence because they are faithfully preaching God's word. 
Um, and so that's uh, that's where I land on it. I could spend probably a whole podcast talking uh, about that. Um, so Zach, if you have uh, any other uh, thoughts or questions on that, you know, um, go ahead and hit me up again some other time, and, and we'll try to suss some of that stuff out. But honestly, um, in looking at it, I think those verses in First um, Timothy uh, two eleven through fifteen, I think they're referring to uh, that next section. Because remember, the Bible wasn't broken up into sections like that. This is a letter that Paul wrote. And so I think those two sections are connected and linked together. Um, there's a lot of other things that are going on, um, particularly in this church at Ephesus at this time, that I think leads to some of this stuff. So, um, yeah, hit me up and we can talk about some of that other stuff. But the long and short is um, I'm, I'm not going to stand in judgment. And I know I've benefited greatly from uh, from – uh, women teachers out there. So, um, all right. Another one from our good buddy, Joshua. What's your favorite avatar moment, favorite avatar moment. I'm going to, um, pick a couple here because, uh, and, and I see that, uh, Zach, you, uh, put down top 187. Um, I really, you know, could I love the series. It's amazing. Um, I will say my favorite comedic moment that I still joke about with uh, friends and family who have seen it is at the end of season one where the crew is in uh, the Northern Water Tribe and uh, Sokka is trying to impress Princess uh, Yui or Yue and they he invites her to take a ride on Op the air bison and you know she's sitting there all impressed and everything and you know she's kind of like you know cozying up to Sokka and he just sits there all proud of himself and says yip yip to me I, I still die every time I see that scene it is one of to me one of the greatest funniest moments in the show like I said it's still something that my friends and family will, we will joke about uh, when that like when moments like that come up you know you just did something smooth and suave um, we will joke about that so that has become a, a favorite line of ours um, one of my favorite action sequences in the movie because um, anybody who um, knows anything about martial arts, like the, this show is actually based on uh, legitimate uh, fighting styles. Um, and so the, the cartoon choreography in it is actually quite good. Um, but one of my favorite um, uh, fighting scenes is in season two. Again, it's kind of, it's that last episode where um, Ang and um, Zuko are, uh, in the tunnel with Katara and um, Zuko's sister, and uh, they um, come up against and have that huge battle in there. And so that is one of my uh, all-time favorite fighting scenes throughout that show. Um, so the to me, the, the show is just – it's a great blend of comedy, uh, storytelling you actually relate to and feel for what the characters are going through. You are taken on a uh, fantastic journey from beginning to end. And so I, I don't think there's any 
episode in there that I that I feel is uh, wasted. When I go back and watch some TV shows, sometimes I'll skip over episodes. I don't do that with this one. I watch the whole thing from beginning to end. Um, you know, Sokka in the desert drinking the cactus juice, going absolutely crazy. Uh, is you know, I just so many moments that are so great. So many story arcs where. The main characters are up high and they're brought down low. And then there's, you know, so many redemption arcs that are brought in there. And so, uh, again, just really one of my favorites and look forward to Zach finishing up and being able to talk with him about it. So Alan Phillips question. I know you do climbing and karate. Would you be interested in some kayak fishing? Alan, that is a fantastic question. I would be interested in some kayaking. Um, I could be convinced to do some fishing. I used to fish a lot when I was younger. Um, and it, it's kind of like, um, when I used to skateboard, um, I used to skateboard and that was one of my favorite things to do. And then I discovered rollerblading and then that kind of became a new favorite thing. And I'm really not as much of a skateboarder and really have no desire to be, but, um, fishing. I also, you know, I, I've gone out with my father-in-law and, and um, in-laws and stuff, big fishers, fishermen and women. Um, and so I've done that quite frequent, frequently with them and, uh, enjoy, enjoy the experience. So yeah, I could be convinced, but, um, yeah, I would love to, um, be kayaking more regularly. Uh, another question from a good buddy, Zach Burnham, uh, who's your favorite Christian suspense novelist? I feel like this is a trick question, Zach. Um, I, I feel like you really, you know, you're trying to put me between a rock and a hard place here. Um, I, I instead of answering who currently is my favorite, I'm going to answer who was my, um, who was my first favorite. Um, and that is, uh, Ted Decker. Uh, Ted Decker, I think writes some great stuff. Uh, it's, it's kind of this supernatural thriller stuff. Um, it's, uh, you know, some of it is, uh, reminds me a little bit of Frank Preddy's stuff, but at a much uh, better level. I remember reading, uh, Ted Decker's book three, phenomenal book. I really, I enjoyed it. Um, and thought it was just, it was great. And my wife's read so much more of his stuff and really enjoys his work. But Ted Decker, I think, um, I'm going to play the safe route and go with, he was probably my first favorite. Um, when I really started getting into, um, you know, reading suspense, uh, Christian novels and all that stuff. Uh, Sawyer Farmer, if all the TGT 11 co-hosts past and present were to compete in a hunger game style fight to the death, who would win? Uh, Zach Bartles, I love your comment. Uh, have you seen us? Hunger is clearly the kryptonite for all three. Amen to that. Uh, but if we were talking serious hunger games, like Katniss Everdeen stuff, I would give the nod, even throwing myself in there. Um, you know, I, I would give the nod, um, to, uh, to Steve Hartland. Uh, that dude is, um, you know, one bad mother, motorcycle riding, gun toting dude. And so I would, um, you know, I would definitely give the nod to him in, uh, in that one. Um, and then, uh, going down, we're almost, uh, finished and wrapping up here. Hope this has been, uh, as fun and entertaining for you as it has been for me. Hope you don't get bored, man. I'm, I'm going almost an hour on my own here. What are the biggest concerns you see in church as a lay person? Um, 
yeah, the the biggest concern I see is the compromising of the gospel, and I think I, I think that should be our biggest concern as lay people, no matter what's going on in the church. Um, you know, if a church wants to give away a flat screen TV once a week. If a church wants to helicopter in, you know, the Easter Bunny and Santa Claus, uh, drawing people in, um, man, more, more power to you if you have the budget and the ability to do that. Um, but if you are compromising the gospel, if you are not calling out sin and calling sin, sin, and letting people know and understand that they are a people that are in great need and that there is a savior for that need, uh, that's where all bets are off. Um, do I have preferences within uh, the church and the way things should be and shouldn't be done? Uh, sure, uh, all of us, all of us do. Um, but when when you are compromising the gospel or you are placing something, and to me, this is this is equally. Um, offensive when you are um, making something equal with the gospel that isn't the gospel that's a problem so you know um, people who exercise their freedoms and you know you have someone in your congregation who drinks or whatever and uh, they're not doing it uh in sin, even if you believe it's sin, if they're not getting drunk, it's not sin. And so, you know, equating something with the gospel that isn't the gospel uh, really gets me going. And um, that is something that I see Christ fighting for because it kept people from God. Um, you know, that's what the Pharisees were all about: putting more rules and regulations down on how you can get closer to God. Um, and that that just that burns me up. When we say and do things that that we, we put re- rules and regulations down that God never put down, that burns me up, and um, I I will I will get hot over that, and I will lose my I. This is going to sound funny and ironic, but I will lose my sanctification over that fighting someone down on that. Um, you know, not necessarily physically, but verbally. Um, so when the gospel is threatened in any way, shape, or form. Um, to me, that is the biggest concern I see in the church. Um, so that was by our good buddy, uh, Jared. Um, and then our last question, uh, John, you're getting the last word here. Favorite beverages. I'm going to break this down into seasons here because um, I'm a seasonal drinker. Um, and I, I just mean that all around. Uh, sweet tea from Chick-fil-A. I can, I can drink that any day of the week and twice on Sunday if they were open on Sunday. Um, I am a big sweet tea person, uh, and particularly sweet tea from Chick-fil-A. So I, I will drink that any time of the year. Um, when it comes to, uh, other beverages, uh, clearly I will drink, uh, water to sustain me, but it is, uh, to me a necessary evil. Um, I will just drink it because it's good and healthy for me. Uh, but uh, t- breaking down seasons, we are entering into the summertime. And so summertime, I have three main uh, alcoholic beverages that I like to uh, take in. And uh, gin and tonics are one. Um, Moscow mules are another. And uh, for a third, old fashions. Nice kind of fruity drink with some whiskey in it. 
Um, and then, you know, the, the Moscow mules and the gin and tonics are just nice, uh, easy drinking drinks this, this time of the year, you know, throw one of the, uh, two of the few drinks that you can throw ice in and it's, you know, it's acceptable and good. Um, you don't have to worry about it over watering down your drink. Um, you put enough alcohol in there and, and it'll, it'll keep up. So, uh, those are, those are my three summertime drinks. Um, once you start getting into uh, the fall, winter, and spring season, I, I love drinking uh, scotch and whiskey. Um, those are bourbon. Uh, all of those are are great drinks, um, particularly sitting out on the back porch uh, on a nice cool day with a cigar. Uh, just a nice relaxing time. So um, I, I do enjoy uh, beer as well. So uh, you know, I'm, I'm all over the place with drinks. Um, probably my all time favorite is soda, but I realize the need to cut down on that because, um, it is so unhealthy for me. So I'm, I'm unfortunately not drinking as much well, or fortunately for health sake, not drinking as much soda as I used to, but, um, uh, it, it'll be, uh, It'll be a, a while before I give up on any of those other ones that I mentioned. So, um, guys, thank you all for the questions. This has been uh, so much fun. I really enjoyed uh, the opportunity of answering those and giving uh, giving my thoughts and perspectives that you had. I know Zach had a great time last week. Um, we're just over an hour, so I'm going to close this out here. But before I do, don't forget... If you are not on our discussion uh, board post, please go ahead and, and request to join in on the discussions. We have great topics and discussions. Um, I want to apologize to um, all you listeners out there because I did not send out um, the uh, movie one, Movie Monday. Um, school is winding down for me and things have been super busy, so I'm going to get back into that. Uh, next week with uh, our movie Mondays and getting all your great thoughts on um, our next genre of movies that we have coming up. Um, so, you know, join our discussion posts. Um, it'll give you opportunities to jump in on asking questions uh, like the ones that were answered today. Also, uh, don't forget to uh, give us a review. You know, we are on iTunes, we are on Stitcher, we're on Podbean, we're on Spotify, and I think we're actually on several others that I'm not fully aware of. And so, you know, throwing a review out for us is great because it gets us higher on the search charts and just allows people to find us faster. So if you enjoy the content we're putting out there, hopefully others will as well. So definitely jump on those mediums and, and give us a review. Um, so... We do have some things in the works coming up, so um, stay tuned for um, a potential uh, TGT 11 live event coming up. I'm going to make a prediction and say within 2019. I won't predict exactly when, but I will say within 2019 here, a TGT 11 live event. So hope you guys enjoyed it, and well, we just rocked the Casbah. These go to 11.